0: Seven innings podcast 2023 version. Here we go, ladies. Uh, I feel like the off season was uh, forever, um, but we're here to talk some softball first week of the season. Amanda Scarborough, Michelle Smith, Madison Shipman, Jen Schroeder, and Caleb Rowe. We're all joining you uh, in the first weekend of the season to talk. Nothing more than the best sport in the world, fast pitch softball. Beth Mowens, Holly Rowe, they're still following that big ball around the basketball court, so they're not joining us this week. But don't worry, they will be back at some point. So let's go ahead and um, talk about maybe some of the stuff that happened in the offseason, maybe on and off the field. Um, I'll start off just by saying, as again, I I felt like the off season was at least, uh, 12 months or longer. And I know that's not possible, but it did feel like it took forever for us to roll around to the softball season. Um, a lot of work behind the scenes, uh, you know, for the beginning of the season, obviously, with the uh, ESPN tournament. Um, so I was around the sport a lot, but I have to say I, mi- I missed the action. Um, I think one of the things that, that I did notice were all the, all the coaching changes. Um, so maybe before we roll into that on our leadoff spot in the lineup, why don't, why don't everybody just give us a quick synopsis of what you did in the offseason uh, to get you through that, that terrible uh, time delay when we didn't have softball.
1: I try to go on as many vacations and see as many friends as possible. It's usually my motto to travel and get out of the house and, um, use kind of the off season, the fall and the winter, just see as many of my friends as I can. So, um, I've had a lot of fun traveling and going to a couple of different places outside of the country. So, um, and then working, of course, always working in the background, but the travel was definitely my highlight. What about you, Maddie?
2: Are we shocked that I was around softball again in the offseason? I guess we can call it the offseason, doing a lot of Athletes Unlimited stuff, uh, following AUX, uh, Daniel O'Toole being the champion there. And then, of course, Deja Moolipola coming through for the hitters for Athletes Unlimited. Uh, but besides that, chasing around my two little kids and my brother and his wife had their first baby. So baby Will, welcome to the family. And yeah, lots of kids, lots of babies, lots of softball. That was, that was all my offseason. What about you, Jen?
3: Well, you guys, so I actually had an open house at my house, put my house up for sale uh, on selection Sunday of last year and went through escrow the end of softball season and then moved out in August and we are building a home and remodeling another home. So for the last six months, we have been living out of suitcases, hopping rental to rental with a two and a half year old kind of going insane. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we have a couple more weeks until hopefully we're in our California home. But my baby sister, Nicole, who played Arkansas, also had her first baby. So like you, Maddie, a lot of you know new family, spending time with family. And then of course, working around softball, throwing catching retreats, and a lot of just being around the sport. So I've kind of been everywhere and yet nowhere all at the same time. Is how I feel like my life is. Kayla, what about you?
4: Um, Well, I'm with you guys on the the baby train. I don't know, like being a toddler mom is hard, as you guys know. It's a lot of work. Um, So obviously, like I'm sick right now because, I mean, we got daycare and all that stuff. So you know, being a mom in the off season, I feel like I've kind of sprinkled in a little bit of what everybody's doing. I traveled like Amanda. I watched all of the AU games that Madison was working and I also moved as well. Jen, so made the move. I went from Eugene. We're up in Portland now and uh, just experiencing like all the things that life has to offer and those capacities. So I feel like I just like sprinkled in a little bit of what everybody else did. You so. called
2: some international softball. I did. Oh, too. yeah. Don't oh, my gosh. Short.
4: Thank you for reminding me, Madison. That was so <laughs> fun. I got to call um, the World Games in Birmingham this summer. I got to watch uh the US team win gold over Japan. And that, that was what an amazing experience. Like I, I just Ali Carta pitching the last out of that game was just phenomenal. So getting to call that was really special. So oh, thank you for thank you for making my life more interesting, Madison. I appreciate you.
0: <laughs> I love it. Um, all those things that go on behind the scenes and um and and we're all back together. I feel like when we get to see each other, uh, record the podcast. It's always fun to to catch up on each other's lives, um, the little ones, and of course, uh, the great great sport of softball. So while we were going through a lot of changes in our off season, think about all the changes that happened in NCAA softball. Uh, And this is an estimate. I don't know that's the exact number, but there were 43 coaching changes at the um, NCAA level, which I just thought was was huge. Um, And some of the biggest ones was Texas A&M, ASU, Michigan, Texas Tech, Michigan State, so a little bit of a merry-go-round with the with the coaches. Uh, Stephanie Van Brakel also getting the head coaching job at Memphis. Um, but I thought it was interesting to move of Trisha Ford to Texas A&M. Um, Amanda, what are your thoughts on some of these coaching changes that you saw during the off season?
1: Yeah, it's funny because that's actually where my attention went to was um, was at A&M, but not just the incoming new coaching staff with Trisha Ford coming over from Arizona State, but the departing staff ended up getting head coaching jobs. The entire staff did. So Joe Evans, my former coach, who was there for forever, went to UCSB. And then Kara Dill, who is a pitching coach, is now the head coach at UT Arlington. And then Craig Snyder, who is a hitting coach, is now the head coach at Texas Tech And then my former teammate, Sharonda McDonald, is now the head coach at Michigan State. So I feel like there were Aggies dispersing everywhere from Texas A&M to go and be the head coach somewhere else, which is really cool to to follow both of those programs. Actually, Kara Dill and Craig Snyder played each other the other day and UTA beat Texas Tech. So they already faced each other, which is interesting. then Sharonda McDonald played at Texas A&M this weekend. So, um, really fun to watch her be a head coach there, but yeah, those that I, I'm thinking about the Aggie bubble, but I don't know. What about you, Jen? Like what comes to your mind with the changes?
3: You know, I feel like I think about the Aggie bubble too, but just a little different. I was following out West Santa Barbara, cause I've got some players there. And so you think about Joe Evans spending 27 years at Texas A&M, And so they opened up their season yesterday, which was Saturday, a few days late. And I was just kind of keeping my eye, like, is she going to get her first win? And in game two yesterday, she got her first win as the head coach at Santa Barbara. And so funny, Amanda, I was kind of following the same thing you were, but almost the opposite. Like, how was Coach Evans going to do out west
2: in a different environment? Um, Maddie, what about you? You know, I love seeing all these former players getting these big time coaching jobs. And I think of Sydney Romero and Olivia Watkins over there at Duke, um, seeing what they're able to do with that program this year. And one of my former teammates, Amber Freeman, of course, ASU great, uh, getting a coaching job over at Cal. So those are just a couple that pop in my mind, but I still love seeing all those former players staying in the game, giving back to the game, and trying to grow the game as much as they can.
4: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. You know, you watch all these coaching changes. And inevitably what comes is the mass exodus of players from their programs that they thought they might've inherited. So I think what's going to be really interesting is you watch people like Trisha Ford, like Megan Bartlett over at ASU, how do they navigate life after some of the best players depart the program, maybe some players that they thought they might have. So I think that's what really is intriguing about new coaches. And it happens all over the country is they almost have to start over and really create not only the identity of themselves as a coach but who their team is, period, using the transfer portal and really trying to collect the players that they need to go and compete in the next year.
1: Yeah, there are also a bunch of uh, transfers. Uh, O-U, tr- or OU getting several transfers comes to mind. Of course, Oklahoma State getting several transfers. Again, what's new? I feel like every year, Kenny is reloading with not only talented freshmen, Michelle, but also transfers coming into his program, like Lexi Kilfoyle, among others.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then that's one of the things that we're going to talk about a little bit later down the lineup cards. So why don't we go ahead and roll over to the number two spot and we're going to talk about softball returning to the beach. And that would be Clearwater Beach. And uh, it's now has a little different name. So we all have to get used to saying it a little bit differently. It's the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational presented by Evo Shield. <laughs> so had to say that a couple of times during the off season. One of the things that I want to talk about uh, leading into this tournament before we kind of dive into what we 're going to be seeing this coming week is um, just the growth of the sport, the growth of this tournament, and uh, one of the things i 've been doing on the off season is really pushing hard the county of uh, Pinellas as well as the city of Clearwater to build us a stadium. You know, we look at the millions and billions of dollars that are spent on men's professional sports for their stadiums, uh, for their communities. And it's the same thing for uh, the sport of softball or women's sports in general. I think that the facilities matter and I'm, I'm hoping to have the opportunity to really push for a, a stadium so that we can host that event uh, and, and have it at great facility for these young girls, uh, to dream of playing in one day, but, but that's my hope. So if we continue to grow this tournament, we get great ratings on television where our sport continues to go. Hopefully we can have a, have something big and beautiful. And as the saying is, uh, if you build it, they will come Well, they're already coming. So let's build it. Right. We're going a little bit in reverse.
1: <laughs> well, um, Michelle, but- you, you think about though, the eyes that this tournament brings to Clearwater and to the area and the teams that are coming. I mean, let's recap the event. There are 16 teams. We start on Thursday and it's actually, uh, Michelle versus Amanda that will lead us off. It's Oklahoma state versus Texas A and M the first game, the only game that will be being played. And it's, we start off on ESPNU, we will have 40 games either streamed or on TV from Thursday to Sunday and we end on Sunday night Michelle with two games one on ESPN2 and one on ESPN a couple of nightcaps we have Mississippi State playing UCF I think that's the matchup that will be on ESPN2 and then Florida State playing Alabama on ESPN so we end it with the really big bang but you guys There are so many good matchups, literally Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday softball is going to be all on our TV screens. Somebody tell me your, your biggest like matchup or a couple of them that you're most looking forward to from this tournament.
2: I know one of the matchups I'm really looking forward to is Arkansas going up against Florida state. And I think it's going to be a big tournament for Arkansas, just to see how they reload after losing some people like Mary Half last season, like losing a KB sides, Daniel Gibson, those types of players, seeing how they were able to reload. I know we've heard Courtney Diefel talk about how she's been so impressed with this freshman class, but also she got some big transfers into Christina Foreman coming over from Duke has been huge for Arkansas, but then going up against Florida State. What's interesting, I think when we think about this, this invitational and just how many elite teams are in there you don't really look at it as a way to bounce back from the first weekend but I think we have a couple of teams that are looking to bounce back after this first weekend out Florida State getting a loss to Longwood this in the first opening weekend and Alabama getting a, a loss in the opening weekend looking to really bounce back against that top competition in weekend two out there in Clearwater so that's going to be interesting.
3: It's yeah, funny me, that you mention, oh. oh, sorry. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Bama and Florida State, Maddie, because those were two teams that I had circled, and they both play UCLA this weekend. So those are two huge tests that I just put a little asterisk next to, because for me, I mean, you look at the scope of college softball, and Oklahoma and UCLA have really rose to the top as far as who people view as the two kind of powers in the sport right now but Florida state and Bama are not far behind and they both had first weekend losses. So you're right, Maddie, how are they going to respond? And they don't get to do it against, you know, middle of middle tier softball teams. Like they have to go face UCLA this weekend, both of them. So those are some games that I for sure am going to have my eyes on this weekend. Kayla, Kayla, before you give your take really oh. quick, I just want to name the
1: 16 teams that are going to be there so that people know, I think we'll be good. So Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Duke, Florida State, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi State, Nebraska, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, UCF, UCLA, USF, and Virginia Tech. And I totally just did that uh, by memory alphabetically, or I was just looking at the the website, reading off the screen. So Kayla, what, what are you looking forward to?
4: Well, I was just going to give you so much credit, Amanda, for how good your memory is, but you just, you took it away from me. Um, no, I, you know, you say that list and it still like shocks me every time I hear it. I'm like, dang, this is so many good teams coming into play. Um, I'm going to shout out some, maybe some under the radar games that I actually think that could have some weight, some, some ones that I wrote down AM versus Arizona. And the reason I think this one stands out to me is because Trisha Ford's going against an old rival in Arizona, the Wildcats, really familiar with them when she was the head coach at Arizona state. I think it's going to be a really good test for these two programs, Arizona that finished so well last year made it to the Women's College World Series, Caitlin Lowe trying to establish herself as the leader of that program. And then Trisha Ford trying to establish herself as the new leader of the Aggies. That could just uh it could see to say a lot about those two teams early. Um, You mentioned a little bit Arkansas-Duke, and the reason I want to watch that is I want to watch Christina Foreman go play against her old team. Um, Mississippi State-UCF, again, both two teams that made history last year in their own way, uh, both making it to Supers, falling short of the Women's College World Series, but those are two teams that want to continue to trend upwards, so that game uh, for me could show where those two teams are at right now and how they look in how their outlook is for the rest of the year. And then the last one really, really quickly um, that I want to shout out is going to be, I think this Nebraska team is going to be a fun one to watch whoever they're playing this week. And the reason is, is I think they fly under the radar, but they finished really strong last year, winning the big 10 tournament. So again, that's just another talented team that I just don't think gets enough credit, but I think that they can make some waves in this tournament, Amanda.
3: And I just want to say one thing about the tournament. You know, we're talking about the games on TV and these matchups were incredible. But if you're listening and you're thinking about maybe attending the Clearwater, the Tax Act Clearwater Elite Invitational presented no elite. by, I, did I get it wrong you already? Know, presented by Evo no Shields. elite in it. It's really tricky because you want to okay. say elite, but there's no elite. But, but, the, but the, competition, the competition is elite and the atmosphere is phenomenal the amount of young players of teams of coaches the experience that you get to be up close and personal with these players even the trolley that transports you from one field to the next field if this is a tournament that you're kind of maybe thinking about going to and you just haven't pulled the trigger on it we highly suggest going because the atmosphere is phenomenal and it will not be an experience that you regret attending
1: Agree. And man, looking at UCLA's schedule, they play Alabama, they play Florida state, they play Virginia tech. Um, they play Louisiana. I mean, UCLA has a very tough schedule. So there's going to be some good matchups there. I'm looking forward to that Virginia tech versus UCLA matchup. Um, I think that will be really good. Um, let's move down to number three on the lineup card. Boomer, boomer, boomer sooner. Um, There is a question mark there because there's three boomers. Could they three Pete? They have the potential. They have a really good team, Michelle. I mean, they got a few transfers that I I guess are pretty good into their program. Yeah, just a couple.
0: Uh, So it is interesting when you look at um, a synopsis here of the big 12, I think last year, if you look at the 22 season, you know, we talk about the Pac-12 and the SEC, all these power conferences, the Big 12, obviously, with Oklahoma. But then you look at the last three standing last year, three Big 12 teams, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State. And guess what, ladies? Again, this year, those are three very strong programs. And when you think Big 12, those are the three that pop right up to the top of the list. Oklahoma transfers in as, (laughs) as good as they are, were, they get in Haley Lee from Texas A&M, Sidney Sanders, Alex Storaco, pitcher from Michigan, and Aaliyah Torres from ASU as well. She packed uh, 12 um, all-conference player. I think probably pretty underrated. I think she's going to do damage uh, for the Sooners. But you look at five All-Americans returning for uh, the p- fighting Patty Gassos. You know, this is just a super team you know all the way through and some great freshmen as well. Kirsten Deal, a left-handed pitcher, number one recruit in the country coming out of North Carolina. Um SJ Gear, another left-handed pitcher out of Texas coming in. So Patty's got her lefties back in the circle. We know she loves those. Um it's just going to be really interesting to see how uh Oklahoma does now. They've they've had a couple of close games early in the season. They haven't been hitting the, the long ball like they have in the past. How do you replace a Jocelyn Alo? Well, I don't think you ever do. Uh, Hope Troutline as well. I don't think you ever you know replace that type of the uh, of experience. But Jordy Ball is back. Nicole May, Alex Straco, couple of good freshmen. Oklahoma, I think once again the team to beat. But you also then have to talk about when you say Oklahoma, you have to add the state because Kenny Gaiaski has done a great job and. When you talk best pitchers in the country, left or right-handed, Kelly Maxwell comes to mind. She has just been outstanding, spins the ball, had a great summer with Team USA. You know, It's just been a lot of fun to watch. And then you look at another transfer coming in, making a difference to the program, Lexi Kilfoyle from Alabama. If she can stay healthy, two-way player, already doing it with the stick and in the circle, can be outstanding. Another transfer for them, Ivy Rosen. Uh, Barry from Texas excuse me from uh, Virginia Tech doing a a great job couple of good freshman pitchers as well but also some transfers in the field for Oklahoma State Megan Bloodworth Rachel Becker she is an All-American out of Purdue outstanding in the field with the glove as well as with the bat I think she's going to do a really good job and then a really good freshman Talon Edwards stud freshman out of Oklahoma uh, the state of Oklahoma already making an impact. And then when you have the returner of uh, Keely Naomi at shortstop, I just think that, you know, this is a very stacked Oklahoma State team. If they can hit well situationally, pitch well, I think they're going to do a good job. And then Texas, (laughs) holy cow, look at the run they went on at the end of the year. I think this is another team in the Big 12 that you just can never count out. They have Mac Morgan, who transferred in from ASU. Very, very strong. Sophia Simpson was really good in her freshman year. Helped beat Arkansas to get to the Women's College World Series. um, Estelle check excuse me, coming over. Uh, transfer last year, left-handed pitcher is going to do a great job. So this is a very strong Texas team, a lot of experience from being in the championship series at the Women's College World Series. So the Big 12 is stacked. I think that this is a conference that's going to be talked about a lot during, uh, you know, during this, this 23 season. And that, that was a, that was a a load. Uh, So I'll let someone else chime in on uh, thoughts about the Big 12.
2: Well, I think Kelly Maxwell started off her first appearance this season with just a a mere 15 strikeouts. So I say that she's pretty, she's feeling pretty good coming into this 2023 season. But guys, how cool is it? Kind of crazy, but cool that next year when we're talking about the Big 12, we're going to be talking about UCF. And they're a team that's going to be down there in Clearwater. But I just think it's really awesome to, to see them moving to that conference and also to see what Coach Sidney Ball Malone is doing this season to prepare for that move next season. They're actually going to Stillwater, going to play at Oklahoma State, just so that she can get her players used to playing in that type of environment before they're into the conference next year. So I think that's something that is of note, maybe looking a little bit in the future. But of course, we're always talking all things softball. So I figured why not throw it out there?
4: Well, I, I honestly, Maddie, I thought you were going to talk about how the Texas and Oklahoma are getting into the SEC sooner now. <laughs> we yes, transition soon. sooner. <laughs> going to get unintended. with longer. that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Talk now, the that. other thing I wanted to say, I, I don't think she gets enough credit. Texas picked up a huge pitcher with Mac Morgan. That girl is really talented. From her freshman year last year, she played Northwestern in Super Regionals, and I got to watch it. And she was a couple outs away from helping her team to get to the women's college world series. She throws a heavy down ball. She's pumping high sixties, low seventies, really, really talented. And if Mike white can help her and develop her as an even better pitcher, I think the future is really bright for this Texas, Texas program. Who's got a young pitching staff. Like you mentioned, Michelle, they're going to be dangerous. And when you talk about the ability for teams like Oklahoma state and Texas to challenge Oklahoma, it's going to come down to pitching. And when you have Kelly Maxwell and Lexi Kilfoyle and then a Simpson and a Mac Morgan in the circle. You're just upping your chances and they're trying to gear up to go try and take down the Sooners in any way they can.
3: And I don't know how we don't talk about the Oklahoma Washington game that happened this weekend at the Mark Campbell classic. And I'm just going to say it. Nicole May is Oklahoma's best player this weekend. Nicole May is so impressive in the circle. So let me just set the scene for you guys a little bit. It's a 5-4 ball game. Nicole May enters the game, 3.1 innings pitch. She has eight Ks. Maddie Husky, all four RBIs for Washington. It's the sixth inning. Nicole May is in the circle, and she has to go through... Husky, fielder, and Klingler. Like, are you kidding me? She strikes out the side. Just an incredible performance by her. And for years, all we've talked about, not all, but mostly, is Oklahoma's offense, Jocelyn Alo, T R A Jennings. I also want to give a little love to Riley Boone. She's hitting 333, so consistent in the box right now. But Oklahoma's getting it done. They're just not getting it done in the way that we're used to seeing Oklahoma do it. And so I think that's kind of what has the whole softball world wondering, is Oklahoma really as good as everyone thinks they are? Is the talent just evening itself out or is it something else? I don't know. What do you think, Michelle?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Jen, I think they score differently. I don't think they have the home run power that they have we've seen them with the Jocelyn Allo in the middle of the lineup. Um, so I, I think they're going to score runs. They might just do it more gap to gap than than over the wall. So um, so that's rounding out the Big 12. We probably should add uh, Baylor started out four now. They've got a big uh, matchup against Arkansas coming up. Kansas and Texas Tech, two teams as well that I think are improving Jen McFall's at Kansas. And as you mentioned earlier, Amanda Craig Schneider at Texas Tech, I think he's going to do a great job there, um, really turn that program around. So that is a recap of the, um, the Big 12 or a, maybe a pro cap of uh, what's what we expect to see coming in uh, to the Big 12. Why don't we go ahead and move down to the number four spot and uh, we'll talk a little bit about the SEC. Can the Razorbacks go back to back to back? Amanda, what, what are your thoughts on the SEC here for the 23 season.
1: Yeah. I mean, there in each of these conferences, there's just so much depth and so much to talk about. So I wanted just to, 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 remind everybody like some players to watch in the sec, um, that are still around like Kayla Kowalik. She's still playing at Kentucky, a dynamic catcher who can drop bombs, has a great arm, steal bases. I mean, always someone to watch Montana Fouts and Allie Shipman are still at Alabama. Bree Ellis, uh, who hit, I think 20 home runs last year as a freshman for Auburn is now a sophomore at Auburn with a really young explosive offense team. Like Look- Looking forward to see what Auburn does this year. Sarah Mosley, who always flies under the radar, I feel like, and Jada Kearney for Georgia, they return lots of home run power for them. Charlotte Eccles, Skylar, Skylar Wallace, Kendra Falby are returning to Florida. Hannah Gamble and Shanice Dels are returning to Arkansas, despite having a very young team with nine freshmen coming in. Kiki Malloy is still at Tennessee and Jenna Laird, who a couple of years ago was the SEC freshman of the year is at Missouri. Um, also wanted to, to talk about the SEC preseason coaches poll who was picked to win it in the SEC. And it was actually Florida. Here's how it went down for the top five, Florida, Tennessee, Arkansas, Alabama, and then LSU. So three different teams actually got first place votes in the coaches poll, which I thought was interesting. That would be Florida, uh, Tennessee, and Arkansas. A couple more things before I throw it out to you guys to see like where your attention is being given is that there's quite a few Michigan transfers within the SEC. Several people when Carol Hutchins uh, decided to retire and Bonnie Thole took over at Michigan, there were quite a few people that transferred out, including Alex DiRocco, who we talked about who landed at Oklahoma, but Annabelle Weidra is at Auburn, Hannah Carson at LSU and Lauren Essman is at Alabama. Um, and two more things is that I think there's a lot of quality freshmen, you guys. LSU has three freshman pitchers that Beth Trina talked about. She has been patiently waiting on to get into the program that will be difference makers. And then those nine freshmen in Arkansas that add speed and that Courtney Dyfold said is hands down the best recruiting class that they've had. So I think there's some quality freshmen coming to the SEC, but, um, Kayla, where does your mind go with it?
4: Yeah, I think when you mentioned the coaches poll at the beginning of the year, they had Florida, Tennessee, Arkansas. I think you could throw in an Alabama with Montana fouls and LSU and a Georgia as all teams that have an opportunity, have a great opportunity to win the conference this year. And I think this is the most that I felt like that. It, usually it's like one or two, it's Arkansas or Florida it's Bama or Florida this year. Like, no, there's a really great chance that so many different teams can win. And I don't know why, but my attention in the off season has gone a lot to Georgia. I mean, their offense, they return the best offense in the sec. you talked about Sarah Mosley. They have hitters like a Jada Kearney, like a Chamblee, like a Kuma, like they, they go get, um, from Alabama, Dallas Goodnight to be their leadoff hitter. So they're just stacked like one through nine, all of them can rake. So if they can have some success in the circle, I think this Georgia team could really make some big waves and some can kind of surprise some people and make a run in the postseason in the SEC tournament and beyond. So I, I think Georgia has the potential to do some really fantastic things. Uh, Florida, I will say, like they, looked fantastic weekend one. They put up like over 40 runs on the weekend. Their pitching was pretty lights out. So for Florida to look that good early in the season and where they finished last year, I think says a lot about Tim Walton, how he prepares his teams. I mean, Skylar Wallace is one of the most fantastic players to watch. And when you have someone that's as electric as her, that's as game changing as her. And then you sprinkle Charlotte Eccles players like that around her. Kendra Falby, like you mentioned, Amanda, I, I mean, they're just going to be a good team to watch. And Tim Wong just always has that business, like defense minded approach that sets them up for success to win a championship. And I, I think Arkansas is great, but they're new and they're young and they lost so much last year. So there's just this little seed of doubt that's in the back of my head with Arkansas. I think they need to prove something here and Clearwater is going to be a great opportunity to do that. But uh, what do you think, Maddie?
2: Kayla, Kaylee, you briefly touched on it with Florida, but the one thing that always comes to mind is just their defense. I think that's what makes them so tough year in and year out is because as an opponent, you know that Florida's not going to beat themselves. So you're going to have to figure out ways to score and it's not just going to be to pound the ball into the ground because their defense is going to be able to make plays. And for them, losing, graduating Hannah Adams was a big loss for them, but you're exactly right. I think Skylar Wallace has stepped up, not just offensively, but also in a leadership role in the way that she's been able to play defense to kind of solidify things on the infield for them. Um, But my mind when I look at the SEC is kind of looking at some teams that might surprise you. And Amanda, I know you alluded to it. Auburn is a team I'm going to keep my eyes on because they've got a great pitching staff, a duo in the circle between Maddie Penta and Shelby Lowe. If you can get them healthy along with that offense, that young, powerful offense that we saw last season, I really think they can do some damage this year. But another team that we haven't mentioned yet is Ole Miss. And I think head coach Jamie Traxel did a great job in the transfer portal this offseason, getting players like Maya Stevenson coming over from Marshall, but also mechanically thermos. I, I got to call that regional last year where she was at Oregon playing um, in Fayetteville at Arkansas. And I thought she was really good in the circle. So I think she's going to elevate that pitching staff along with players like Brooke Vestal. And I would not be surprised if we see Ole Miss take some wins away from some people this year.
3: You know, Maddie, funny that you mentioned Auburn and Ole Miss because those were two teams I kind of had my eye on. So before this podcast and just going and looking at scores and two scores really shocked me. Oregon beating Ole Miss nine to three this weekend really shocked me. Nine runs on that defense. And then also. Pitt beating Auburn this weekend. But when you look at conferences cuz obviously we're, we're we're prepping the conferences right now and we're we're looking at specific the Big 12, the SEC, we're trying to itemize them. But when you try and compare as a whole, how are these teams going to match up across the country? It's interesting to look at them dropping a game to an ACC team and to a Pac-12 team. And so I think it just alludes to the fact that the game's growth is so dramatic, especially over the last few years. And I think that the playing field is just evening itself out, really.
2: And Jen, I, I
0: want to kind of jump in there and, and I agree a hundred percent. One of the things Kayla, I loved what you said about UGA is that, you know, that's a very strong uh, offensive team yet again, 10 home runs already in this opening weekend four by Jada Kearney, but Shelby Walter uh, Walters transferring over, I think is game changing from them. Great down ball pitcher. She's already three and zero on the season. If she can keep the ball in the yard, I think UGA makes a lot of noise. They already have Madison Kerpix who's who can do a good job, but they also have Kylie Macy who as a freshman last year, got a lot of throwing time. So an interesting staff, I think UGA is going to be one of those teams, but overall, when you look at the sec, this is just, I mean, all the way through completely stacked. I mean, there, there's, there are no off games in this conference.
2: Yeah. So I was going to, sorry, Amanda, I was going to say, I think it's important to note too, that, that, I I'm under, I think it's okay for teams to drop games early in the season. I, I think that you see some coaches putting maybe some young players out there trying to figure out what's going to be the best combination uh, for their team. It, when you look at, um, like those Auburn, that Auburn loss. Uh, they didn't start Shelby Lowe or Maddie Penta. They're trying to get some of their, their young pitchers some innings out there. So I think it's okay to lose some of those games. And with that, I think that's why we see these teams beefing up their schedules more because they're not just going out there chasing wins, but they know that playing a strong schedule, being able to play against top competition where you're able to put your young players out there in, in a bit more of a hostile environment to see how they react. I think we're seeing that a little bit more. So losses early in the season don't really shock me too too much. Um, Even look back at Texas last year, they went, what, 0-5 in the Clearwater tournament and ended up being in that championship series. So I think it's important, too, for not just teams in the SEC, but really all across the board that you're playing your young players and getting them used to playing at this high level, because it's amazing how much quicker the game moves when you jump from high school ball to college ball. I know that was something that was a big adjustment for me, even defensively. It was all of a sudden, like, these runners just started running down the base pads in in two seconds, whereas before, I felt like I had an attorney. So it's all about getting those growing pains out in the early in the early part of the season.
1: Well, speaking of uh, new faces with the adjustments, one last thing we didn't talk much about Tennessee. They have 13 new players on their roster, 10 freshmen, Madison, and then also three transfers, including a really good uh, pitching transfer. Peyton Gottschall from Bowling Green and then Mackenzie Donahue coming over from Oklahoma with, of course, national championship experience that she brings. Florida will return 16. And remember, they had. 132 stolen bases last season so that's the sec let's move down to number five on the lineup card acc what to know okay that's that's good i I really like that um man there's a lot to talk about in the acc especially with their strength continuing to grow madison where does your attention go
2: Uh, Well, I I like the pun right there because it's leading me straight into the first team that I was going to talk about. Um, So I feel like we're on the same page right there with uh, Florida State. And I know we talked about how they just lost in the opening weekend. But again, they're a team that always just kind of seems to use the beginning of the season to figure out what's going to be the best uh, combination for their team moving forward. You see Florida State teams uh, have a lot of power some years. You see Florida State teams utilize a lot of speed in the run game. So I still think they're kind of trying to figure that out. But when you have somebody like Kat Sandercock in the circle for you, you know she's going to give you a chance to win every single ball game that she's out there. Um, you return players like Michaela Edenfield, Kaylee Harding, Kaylee Mudge, um, but Mac Leonard is a player that I'm definitely going to be keeping my eyes on this season, not just for what she can do offensively, but also I think we're going to see her in that pitching role a little bit more. Uh, they got some big transfers into their program as well with Allison Royalty uh, coming over from ASU in the circle, but also Katie Dack. Um, has come through offensively uh, for them. So I think she's going to be a big key for Florida State. Um, Moving on to uh, Clemson. And they're a team that lost a couple of names offensively. But man, when I look at this roster top to bottom, I feel like this player's been there for a long time. This player's been there for a long time. Just they have some players that started out um, at that Clemson program and have just grown up in that program so now I think we're going to see a Clemson team that could be really tough to beat this season um again when you've got somebody like Valerie Cagle in the circle she's going to give you a shot to win and lefty Millie Thompson I think really kind of blossomed last year too ended up not just being uh, a number one and a number two with Cagle and Thompson but kind of a a, an ace and then another ace I think they complement each other really well with Cagle throwing from the right side Thompson throwing from the left a little bit more down ball and that off-speed pitch. Um, And they return players like Mackenzie Clark, who I've always said is underrated. I think she sets the tone for for them right in that leadoff position, Um, but she's really good. And they only have one freshman on their entire team, which I think is is something that is rare that we see this year. Uh, Virginia Tech moving forward, they lost Keely Rochard. And I don't think you replace somebody like Akili Rochard, but I think you bring in some arms to try to make up for some of those innings that you're losing with her. Um, they've got a lot of freshmen that they're really high on this year. But also looking at the return of Emma Lemley and what she was able to do uh, for as a freshman last season. The big question with Lemley was, was she going to be able to fix uh, all these illegal pitches getting called? And I think they found some things in the offseason that they really worked on. I mean, I was really impressed with how she composed herself last year dealing with some of those illegal calls and was still able to grind it out and still get some big wins for them. So looking for Virginia Tech to do some big things this year. I know we've mentioned Duke. I, they lost a lot to the transfer portal, but they still have people like Jayla Wright and Deja Davis. And I think those two players are going to have to hold it down for them in order to be successful this season. I like that Jayla Wright's somebody that works the ball down in the zone too. So, you know, she's not going to give up a ton of home runs, but she's going to keep that ball down on the ground. Um, uh, also, I know we talked about the new coaches over there, but Sydney Romero and Olivia Watkins, I'm really looking forward to see what they do over there. Um, and a couple of other names that players to watch, I guess, throughout the, the rest of the ACC. Karina Gaskins for Notre Dame is a fantastic hitter. Uh, Georgia Tech's another team that's a kind of sleeper team in the ACC for me. Blake Nelleman does a really good job in the circle for them. And if you want to watch a human highlight reel at the shortstop position, Jin Saleo is fantastic over there for them. Um, another two-way player is Taylor Roby for Louisville she's always somebody that's going to give her team a, a chance to win those ballgames. So those are a couple, a couple of teams that are, are a couple of players that really stand out to me in the ACC uh, moving forward through the season. Well, and Madison, I talked to Emma Lindley last week a little bit about how she really worked on keeping that
0: foot down. She is confident. She is throwing well already. Um, you know, she's two and O on the season, 12 innings pitched, uh, over this weekend, 16 strikeouts. I mean, so you can just see that, that the confidence, um, in her statistics, you know, as good as she was last year, I think having that confidence of having that foot down is, is going to be a game changer for her this year. Cause she, she is it, she's the stud on the staff and, um, uh, you know, just her mentality. Listening to the confidence, the hay she put in the in the barn by working on that uh, and getting that foot down, um, re- really was was great uh, to to hear from that young lady's voice. And and a, a big challenge, as we mentioned about, she will be uh, and Virginia Tech will be in Clearwater, so I'm, I'm excited to see her throw in person.
1: I think for the ACC, my biggest question is we we've continued to talk about their growth and their their strength overall. They've hopped in that conversation now of just getting stronger more at the top, but who's going to be the next team that from the ACC that makes it to the women's college world series, right? Like who is going to join Florida state or be there instead of Florida state. Um, and and to kind of solidify, I think in my mind, the way that the the ACC has truly grown, because that to me is, is kind of how you, you, you can be strong, like as a conference overall and get some big wins in the regular season. But I think to really solidify strength, you have to have multiple teams get to the women's college world series. And I want to remind of all the the first that the ACC had as a conference um, or from their conference last season with Duke and Clemson making it to a Super Regional for the first time in program history. And then also Virginia Tech for their first time in program history hosting a regional and a Super Regional. I think my question mark is, can Notre Dame join that Super Regional list? Notre Dame, a team that's never made it to a Super Regional, but continue to always have a strong team, right? But can they take that next step? And can somebody like Georgia Tech Louisville, or even Virginia, who's had a strong team kind of raised the bar again for the ACC to make it that much deeper and stronger, Michelle. Amanda. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. I think last
0: year you had a prediction of number of teams to the women's college (laughs) 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 for the ACC. What's your prediction this year?
1: I think I said three and you know, what? I, or maybe I said four, I don't know. I think I got a little spicy with the four, but I think uh, you said
3: four, Amanda, I, think you said
1: I, four. I, okay. I did because I really thought Duke, I mean, and look, there were some teams that really got close, right. With Duke and Clemson going to their first ever super regional and Virginia tech hosting their first super regional. Um, I, I, I think Clemson, Florida state, Virginia tech, I, I think all three of those teams could, could get there. Duke lost a lot, including Peyton St. George who was a big part of their team lost her to graduation uh, and Caroline Jacobson who is now at Clemson just tearing it up already um I, I think those three teams have a good chance what do you guys think
4: um, I'm gonna steal a little stat from uh, the d1 softball podcast that I listened to earlier this week with Gray Robertson and Tara Henry um Florida State, since 2014, has gone to the World Series every other year, and they didn't go last year. So I bet we can basically bank on the Seminoles making it this year. And I think, honestly, they're the team that's primed. I also think it's really interesting that Lonnie Alameda, after losing in regionals last year, she was like, we need more pitching. So now they have seven pitchers. That's crazy that they can go to just shows you what you got to do in today's day and age to try and stop these, these hitters. But I think two from the ACC, I think Clemson and Florida state would be my two top choices.
3: Kayla, those would be my two guesses as well. I think Florida state is a lock and I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Clemson. And I feel like it's almost, it's about their time to go. And I can see it being this year.
1: Well, they've taken a step forward. I mean, their short program history, right? Like they've gone a little bit further every single year. And maybe it's that this year they host a regional or a super regional for the first time, or maybe it's that they make it to the women's college world series for the first time. Um, okay. So that's the ACC. I think we pretty much covered it pretty well. Let's move to number six. What's brewing in the PAC 12, man. I look at UCLA Jen and for the first time in my memory, they've gotten a lot of transfers and not just like transfers that maybe you never heard of. I mean, they got major transfers into the UCLA program.
3: You guys, they major transfers and transfers from their arch rival of Arizona. As an alumni, this is something that almost makes you a little uncomfortable. And, And I'm sure the Wildcats are feeling the same way. UCLA in their first four games have scored 40 runs. That only one game went seven innings. And they're not doing it from the normal names that we're used to. Aaliyah Jordan, she's back for her sixth year. She's not even in the lineup because she's not cleared yet. Maya Brady hit her first bomb, but a name that everyone needs to have on their radar is Megan Grant. She is a freshman. She's been in the lineup since day one, which was only three days ago. But her swing from the left side, if you are able to look up any pictures, the extension and power that she gets is unlike anything I've seen in quite some time. It's almost like a Francesca, a like big, big, big swing, but from the left side, it's beautiful. And then Taylor Tinsley in the circle for them, a freshman who threw a five inning, no hitter that would have been a-, a perfect game. Had there not have been catchers interference guys. Ooh, does that just get you in the heart? Um, but we talk about those transfers, Rachel Sid from Oregon, um, Char, Char from Arizona, who is going to be their everyday catcher. And then Janelle Naomi, who is obviously in the lineup every single day. You think about UCLA and I think this is the first time that I could re- remember them being exceptionally deep at every position. And I think for so long, UCLA has been good, but you know who's going to start at every position every day. And this year they are so deep with four pitchers in the circle, obviously led by Megan Faramo, Maya Brady is still going to be a mainstay in the lineup, but there are just new names. And I think that alludes to this conversation of the growth of the game. Now, I want to look at the entire conference just a little bit, and I, and I want this to be a conversation. I just don't want to talk at all of you. I want us to talk about this, but I look at the coaches poll, like you did, Amanda, for the SEC, and UCLA had every single first place vote except for one. Now, the reason why I mentioned that is because it went UCLA number one, Stanford number two, Washington at three, but the only other first place vote went to Washington, not Stanford. And I, I, I'm assuming UCLA probably didn't vote for themselves and that Kelly I gave a little credit over there to U-Dub. But U-Dub is a team that I got to watch this past weekend at the Mark Campbell Classic, and they are scrappy. Um, Ruby Malin in the circle as a freshman, she's, I, 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 I'm not going to say she's Jordy Ball as a freshman, despite the fact that they played on the same travel ball team, guys, which I think is a cool little nugget. Uh, but she's scrappy. But Maddie Husky in their lineup is a name that I don't think gets enough credit. I mentioned she had four RBIs, the only four against OU. Bailey Klingler, of course, she's going to be great. Um, Sammy Reynolds, you know, they've got some of these names. Now, Stanford. Stanford is a team who's been led by their pitching staff, Alana Vatter. So I was really excited to get to watch her start against Duke this weekend. And she gave up three in the first inning. And that really stood out to me because I feel like Stanford is a team who a lot of people are talking about. Do they have a chance to be at the World Series this year? And Maddie, I'm looking at you because I am interested in your opinion of this. I know that you're going to have one. And I looked at Stanford And I hate to say it, but right now it's February, it's early. I don't think that they're a team that's ready for the biggest stage in college softball. Now, they're coached by Jessica Allister. She's phenomenal. I'm not saying they're not going to get there, but right now I don't see it. I want to talk about just two more teams in the conference, then I'm going to kick it to you, Maddie. I obviously was looking at ASU. We mentioned they lost Trisha Ford, Megan Bartlett's there, first-time head coach. She's coming over from Texas. The thing that stood out to me, so they're they 4-1 and one so far this weekend, but they've scored in every game. Jimmy Kaleidas stayed at ASU. He was not in the hitting position role last year. He's now taking over as their hitting coach. So the fact that they've scored in every game, I liked it. And then Oregon. Oregon's another team that I'm just kind of tracking, just kind of watching. How are they going to be? Uh, and they're 2-2 two and two right now on the weekend, but they had their loss. Oklahoma State. I mean, Michelle, we've all been talking about it. Oklahoma State is a solid team, but they also lost to Maryland, which I I know, Maddie, I know your point of it's okay to lose early, but I think it's okay to lose early for teams like Auburn. I, I'm, I think a team like Oregon is a team that doesn't have the luxury of taking a long time to figure it out. I think these preseason wins are more important to a program like Oregon. Just one more thing that I have just circled on my calendar. This Tuesday, UCLA plays Liberty. Liberty held Oklahoma to a one-run extra inning loss. So I've got that circled. And then in two weeks, UCLA has to play Florida and OU. So even though UCLA's schedule has been very, very easy in opening weekend, Get ready because they're about to face some much tougher competition, and that's going to be the real test for the Bruins. All right, Maddie, I know I've bounced all over the place, but I really do want to know your thoughts on Stanford.
2: Yeah you know it's interesting because Jen if you would have asked me that question at the end of last season when they were at Super Regionals in Tuscaloosa I would have said 100 or yeah 100% it was Regionals not Super Regionals but 100% they are a World Series ready team and they really returned a lot of that team and especially like you said they've got their pitching staff back in the circle they've got players like Taylor Gindelsberger back so you think that that mentality would just transfer over. I do think maybe it's a little bit of uh, pressure in the preseason because everybody's been talking about them. I think it's a different mentality when you come into the season when you're the bit of an underdog versus being that team that has the target on their back. And I think for them, they still have the talent, they have the potential, but for them, maybe it's just a couple of weeks of figuring out how to navigate that different mentality coming into the season. But I do think that they're led by a very strong, a very confident coach in Jessica Allister. And she really loves the team that she has out there on the field so this is why we play all 60 whatever games during the season because you see these teams start to blossom throughout the year Um, so that was you know that's kind of my thoughts on Stanford I guess right now they might not be right now but I'm not saying that they can't be when we get time for for May and for June Um, looking at the rest of the the Pac-12 I think I might sound a little bit creepy right now but I know that Kayla and I were talking about Megan Grant and her swing and I went back and looked at like her junior year high school swing videos, I found them on YouTube. Beautiful swing. I, I mean, I we were talking about it before UCLA even played their first game, that that was a swing that you wanted to watch, and it is so pretty going through the zone. So she's definitely going to be somebody that I'm watching too. Um, but, yeah, I think you really touched on it all. I, for Washington, I'm looking forward to see what Bailey Klingler does again this year. I think she's one of my favorite players uh, in the entire country to watch um, what she was able to do with her numbers last year. Uh, it's going to be hard to replicate those same numbers, but if you, anybody's going to do it, I think Bla- uh, Bailey Klingler can.
0: All right, ladies, great wrap of the uh, what's brewing in the Pac-12. We're going to go ahead and roll over to the number seven position now. How about a Hutchless Big Ten? Uh, I think it's been a very long time since we've been able to say that. Um, although she assured me when she, when I got the news, she retired. I texted her and like the crying emoji and she goes, don't worry, I'm not going far. So <laughs> she will, she will be around. Uh, in fact, she will be in Clearwater next week. So I'm looking forward to saying hi to her and seeing what it's up on uh, her new adventures. Uh, uh, adventures. Um, Kayla, go ahead and uh, take us through what your thoughts are on the big 10 this year.
4: Yeah. Well, despite the fact that Hutch is gone, uh regardless, Northwestern is the favorite in this conference, without a doubt. It's not Michigan, which is um, kind of something new for us to say um, after the last I don't know how many years we've been doing this podcast. It's felt like Michigan's up there at number one. Uh, but Northwestern is going to be the without a doubt, the favorite. They return so much of their staff. Really, they only lose Rachel Lewis last year from last year, who's the Big Ten player of the year a season ago. But they have Danielle Williams back in the circle, a crafty lefty. They return so much experience. I mean, you're talking about Dorn Rudd, Maeve Nelson, Skylar Shellmeyer, Nikki Cochran, Angela Zedak. All of those players were the key pieces to get them to a World Series, uh, the Women's College World Series a year ago. So they have speed. They have power. They're diverse throughout their lineup. They're resilient. And. I can't help but think about them from last year. Uh, Clearwater, I just want to bring that up again, because when they walked it off against UCLA, I felt like that was the springboard for the rest of their season, giving them so much confidence. So that's the power of Clearwater. And and I think that Northwestern is just going to keep that role in this season. They're going to have a target on their back, which is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit bigger than it was a season ago. So it's going to be fun to see how they navigate the Big Ten this year. Um, Following them up, I think I have Nebraska as one of the teams that's going to fight for a top position in the league. They, again, I mentioned it earlier, but they finished so well last year, winning the Big Ten tournament. They beat Michigan in all three matchups. They have a really dynamic leadoff hitter in Billy Andrews that I think is a player to watch. Already has two home runs this weekend and opening weekend. Maya Felder, a transfer from Oregon, is another really impactful hitter in their lineup. Um, they're just really talented. They don't have like a killer pitcher in the circle, just a total ace that's going to go up, you know, shove it up people's, you know, what's. But um, <laughs> they they do have uh, a Courtney Wallace that's a senior that's got a lot of experience. that They're going to lean on heavily. Uh, Wisconsin is another team, I think, that can make some waves in this conference. Kayla Conwent's one of the best players in the league, so she's going to have the power numbers. They have Maddie Schwartz in the circle. Um, They're going to rely on some freshman pitching, though. Uh, Michigan would be the next team. We mentioned it. We just heard all of their players left, like all those impact. No Sirocco, no Bobian. Uh, Hannah Carson transferred Christina Burkhart graduated she was their best hitter last year so this is a Michigan team that's just going to look a lot different I think it's going to take some time for them to figure out who they are they're going to rely on three transfers and a fresh or excuse me a sophomore in the circle and uh, the good news is is uh, Jessica LeBeau from Kent State pitched a no-no today so I think that's a good sign for Michigan Um, I say today it's it's Sunday we're filming on a Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then beyond that, I think Illinois, you mentioned Maryland is a team that could do some things. They beat Oregon, but, you know, they also uh, lost to Cal Baptist as well. So I think they're a team that's getting better. They had their best record in Big Ten play ever. So uh, Maryland is a sneaky team. And then beyond that, you drop to the second half of the conference and it's just kind of a free for all and who wants to kind of Rise up to try and get to the top of this conference. But uh, that's really what's going on in the Big Ten right now.
2: I'm going to piggyback off of that, uh, Kayla, and just kind of shout out another player that I always kind of watch uh, that's in the Big Ten. Uh, Bailey Partial for Penn State, I think, is a sneaky, good, lefty pitcher. I know, Michelle, you're going to love that. Uh, but she's, I believe, the fifth uh, player from Penn State in their history of their program that ended up being an All American. So I think that's a a player to watch when it comes to the Big 10 outside of those those teams that you just named Kayla.
1: Yeah, and I'll be really interested to see how Nebraska plays this weekend in Clearwater. I think that they'll be tested. They're a team that um you know, caught some attention last year because Nebraska, I think to Nebraska standards and the history of the deep, rich history of their program has been a little down the past couple of years. And when we talked to Rhonda Ravel coming into Clearwater, this is a team that's very motivated. They have big goals um, and they return a lot. Courtney Wallace is such a good player for them, but really their offense. I mean, they led the big 12 in slugging percentage. Like this is a team that can score a lot of runs. And you mentioned Billy Andrews. I think she's another one of those players that flies under the radar across the country that you don't talk a lot about, but steals bases hit 20 home runs. Um, what a different like looking Michigan team. Like I just can't get over it without Carol Hutchins and Starocko and Bobian. Uh, but Lexi Blair is back, which is good. And then Kayla, um, with Vance Studeman as the pitching coach at Illinois now, because Lance McMahon is now the pitching coach at Alabama. So a little like Alabama, cycle thing going on there because van Stewartman, of course was the head coach in mississippi state and was a pitching coach um at alabama before that
4: yeah it took a few years off so interested to see her back in action as a pitching coach for illinois and you mentioned lance going to bama uh, again a little fun little circle right there it all comes back around
3: so way too early world series predictions do you all think northwestern will be in oklahoma so oh, I'm putting you on the spot.
0: I'll, I'll jump in and say
3: I think they're going to struggle to get there unless uh,
0: Danielle Williams really just does what she did last year and come on strong at the end of the season. I saw her this weekend, and she got beat up a little bit. So she's, she's got to get back to spinning it, and then her offense uh, needs to put some runs up on the board for her. So I, I, think, it's, I think it's an outside chance to get there. All right. Um, I want to chat a little bit about Carol Hutchins because she did retire – um, over the summer, which is a true Hutch type of thing to do, because she never wants the uh, the press or the notoriety on her. But Carol Hutchins coached at Michigan for 38 years. She is the winningest coach in the history of our sport. Um, 1,707 wins uh, she has recorded. An incredible. 22 Big Ten championship championships. Nine Big Ten tournament championships um 18 NCAA regionals big 10 coach of the year 18 times and of course the the biggest prize of all that 2005 national championship first one one east of the Rockies so uh Carol Hutchins doing a great job at Michigan a, a just really amazing coach in person uh, does a lot of fundraising um just you know when you you look at the sport of softball these are the people uh, over the years, like Mike Candrea, they, they are legends um, that will continue to be around the sport, but maybe not in the sport on an everyday basis. But Carol Hutchins, an incredible career at Michigan um, and just leading so many amazing athletes that uh, obviously need to give her due uh, and give a give a little bit of a shout out to coach uh, before we move on down the lineup, which um, Holly Rowe is not here, but it is time to roll into the eighth spot and shag
3: some stats. this week on shagging stats yeah um
1: so we didn't talk a ton about arizona but i feel like arizona is playing with a chip on their shoulder looking at what they've done so far this weekend they still have one game left today but four five inning run rules Put up a ton of runs, nine runs, 15, nine, 15. Those are th- big numbers. But my actual stat is that Arizona this weekend so far has scored in 15 of the 17 innings that they've played, an offense that is super fired up. Kayla, what's your stat?
4: Uh, my stat is one. It's week one of college softball, and we already got a number one play on Center with Josie Muffley's. Great diving play in the five six hole. I mean, it was beautiful laying out. She's like no stranger to the sports center top 10, but to get a number one play in week one, I feel like that's got to be the first time that that's happened in college softball.
2: I see you giving love to the shortstops, Kayla. Yeah, I really that's I, right. I appreciate let's, that. Let's fast on I, it,
4: ladies and gentlemen. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but no, I, I don't know about you guys, uh, but I. My first collegiate at bat, I definitely did not hit a home run. I think I blooped one into right field, but Sydney Groves, freshman for Boise State, the very first pitch that she saw in her very first collegiate at bat, hits a two-run home run. Absolutely incredible. What a great start to your career right there. Uh, you know who
3: else who did that is Amanda Ricker from Cal Baptist. Uh, that's actually not my shag stat, but my shag stat does happen at Cal Baptist. So Presley Hossick, her first start in the circle as a freshman, throws the program's very first Division I no-hitter against Wisconsin. Huge, huge moment over there in California. Actually happened in Mexico, but you know, <laughs> West Coast team, Michelle. What's yours? Uh,
0: I love that. I love all the stats and what catches everybody's eye. I'm going to go to number one as well. And Kayla, when you said number one, I was like, oh, she stole my stat, but I was whew, safe. But she did not. So my my stat is number one. Is the number one, um, and it's Lehigh. Sorry, I, this is a little bit, Kayla. I, um, so you I know Lehigh. I know, and let me pull the knife out of your chest. Um, <laughs> this is. Lehigh a seven to four victory over Alabama at the Rhodes House, but I think what um, is most important for Lehigh it is their first ever top ten victory. Um, so a big shout out to a mid major school Lehigh who uh, had a, had a big victory early in the season. Again, it's early in the season, so I uh, don't don't I have I'm not worried about Alabama. I think there could be a little stubbing of the toe that uh, helps
2: them uh, down the season. He'll be like a
0: remember the cry. Remember the Lehigh,
2: Michelle. You're not just throwing daggers at Kayla with that one anymore. I know your sister so. over there. You're throwing daggers both our ways.
4: Come on now. Just keep telling me so Texas lost five games in Clearwater, and they yeah, exactly.
0: It's it it's how you finish.
4: <laughs> it was their first win over
1: an SEC team in program history too. So huge win for Lehigh, who um, had beaten A and M back when I played, and we were used to be their best program win in history. And so now I'm happy to pass that torch. To Alabama um and getting off of the the game notes of the Lehigh um game notes for media day that was
3: shagging stats
1: okay moving to number nine last thing we're to do is player of the year picks so who do we have who who's a kind of too early but I guess this is what you talk about at the beginning of the year like who's an early player of the year pick that we have Michelle All right. I'm going to jump
0: in and just real quick. I'm going to go back to the the hitting pitchers. Rachel Garcia won it in 18 and 19. And then we had Jocelyn Allo the last two years in 21 and 22. So I'm going to go back again, as I mentioned, to the hitting pitchers. I think there's an opportunity. Megan Framo, we were told, is probably not going to hit this year. But I am going to go with Megan Framo. I think Lexi Kilfoyle, if she stays healthy, opportunity for her to have a big year um, at Oklahoma state. And then there's also Valerie Cagle. I I just look for the the hitting pitchers to potentially shine again here in 2023.
3: Yeah. I think Valerie Cagle is going to be a top three finalist for sure, but something in me really wants TRA Jennings to win. I just, I feel like she is such a well-rounded hitter and she never gets enough credit for what she does on defense But when I watch her play, I fall more and more in love with the sport. I think she's so passionate. I love the way she cheers on her teammates' successes. And I just think that she's one of the best hitters in college softball and one of the most
2: well-rounded players in college softball. Maddie? But uh, I, I had T.R.A. on my list as well, just because of the same reason that you just mentioned. I just love watching her play. And I think she does such a great job from a hitter perspective of spraying the ball to all fields. Um, but somebody else, I mentioned her a little bit earlier, but Bailey Klingler is also somebody. The number she put up last season, I would imagine that she's going to be up there again this season. She's just has that mentality, that confident, aggressive approach up in the plate every single time she steps into the box. And that's what just really impresses me about her.
4: Yeah, I absolutely think Bailey Klingler could find herself as a top three finalist again this year. I think what makes me a little bit nervous about Bailey Klingler is the Washington offense around her may not give her the support that she needs to really bolster. There's numbers that you might see from an Oklahoma team, which is why somebody that's kind of flying under the radar for me as a potential sneak in top three finalist. Um, it's a Haley Lee because she's going from a Texas A&M team where she was really the bulk of the offensive production So now she's got help around her. You can't walk her. She's going to have opportunities for more RBI production, some bigger hits. So I think Haley Lee, if it's not TRA Jennings could sneak in there as one of the best players at the end of the season. Yeah. And
1: then I'm going to say uh, Kelly Maxwell. I think that she has an opportunity to be so dominant in the circle, um, has the experience somehow, you know, we're still going to be talking about her next year because she's a red shirt, red shirt or the COVID year. And then she's a red shirt junior. So she'll be pitching again. So she's older experienced. And I feel like now she has a lot of women's college world series experience. And I think that Oklahoma state team is going to be pretty good. Michelle.
0: Uh, I, I agree with you, Amanda. And I, I couldn't add both Maxwell and
1: Kilfoyle <laughs> together. Cause then you guys, would I got really- you
0: a homer yeah so. yeah <laughs> all right ladies well that was a lot of softball i mean i'm excited tax act clear invitational presented by evo shield coming up in just a couple of days super excited we'll be able to round up um talk about the tournament on our next podcast but uh we uh, welcome you all to join us every week on the seven innings P- podcast <laughs>